Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the very first book of the Bible, which is the book of Genesis, chapter number 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair near you, and you could take that Bible and turn in it to page 30, and you would be at Genesis chapter 39. You know, we live in a fallen world, and there are times in life when we find ourselves in a hard place. I want you to take a moment and just think about a time in your life when you were in a hard place. Just think about that for a moment. When you're in a time like that, how can you find hope when you're in the middle of hardship like that? On their first wedding anniversary, August 18, 1938, Russell and Darlene Dibler arrived in New Guinea to labor in the jungles for Christ. When the Japanese invaded, the two were torn apart, and Russell was interned in a concentration camp where he died. Darlene was imprisoned in another military camp where she suffered years of forced labor, indignity, near starvation, and afflictions such as beriberi, dysentery, and intestinal worms. Now, when you're going through that kind of hardship, where is the hope to be found? One day, Darlene was singled out for execution, and shock troops took her to a stark cell, and these words were written on the door in chalk, this person must die. The guards shoved her into the shell, the cell, and as the door slammed shut, she went down on her knees, turned around, and peeped through the keyhole, and when she saw the key make a complete revolution, she knew that she was as good as dead. And as the footsteps of the guards were beginning to recede away, she broke into a cold sweat, trembling, fighting off sheer terror. And just then, to her mind, she remembered a song that she had learned as a child in Sunday school back in Iowa, and she began to sing that song. Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot, he enters all rooms, the doors being shut. He never forsakes, he never is gone, So count on his presence in darkness and dawn. And Darlene felt the strong arms of the Lord about her, and she knew that although her captors could lock her in, they could not lock out her wonderful Lord. And she was in an impossible spot, but she was there with God, who does impossible feats. She was there in his will, and she knew that his will would never put her where his presence could not sustain her. That assurance bore her through impossible times and preserved her life 
despite the impossible odds. You see, God's presence, when we understand it and we remind ourselves of it, will give us hope through hardship. That was true in the life of Darlene. The same thing was true in the life of Joseph, and the same thing is true for us. We're involved in a series of messages we have entitled Hope Through Hardship, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And over and over again, I have been sharing with you an equation. It is not a true equation. It is a Bruce equation that is P plus P plus P equals P equals H. And I've had plenty of engineers tell me that the only value that works when you have P plus P plus P equals P is when P stands for zero. And so technically they tell me what that really means is that you have zero hope with this equation. (laughs) I understand that it's a Bruce equation, okay? So engineers can relax. In this equation, the first three P's stand for God's promises, God's providence, and God's presence. And when we get our arms around those three things, it gives to us perspective, which in turn gives to us hope. And today we want to focus on the element in that formula of God's presence. I would like to read from Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 down through most of verse 6, and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Now it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in Joseph's charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate." We want to talk about the role of God's presence when we're in hardship and how it can give us hope through hardship. We're going to look at three things today. First of all, we're going to spend some time making a few observations about how God's presence was with Joseph. Then the second thing we're going to do is take a little time to look at the astounding promise of God's presence as we see it in the scriptures all the way through. And then we're going to spend a few moments looking at our need and to see how our need is day by day for the presence of the Lord. So let's begin by looking at God's presence with Joseph. Now, I want to remind you of the flow of what's happening here. You do remember that Joseph is 17 years old. 
He has grown up. He has been coddled by his father. He has been spoiled. So emotionally, where is he? I don't know. He might have been a 14-year-old emotionally, but he's a young man. And you remember that he is threatened by his brothers that they would even kill him. He's being betrayed by his brothers. And then he's sold to the Ishmaelites as a slave, which was really a life sentence of mistreatment and no doubt early death. And then he is forced to march his way to Egypt and he's sold again. Now, if you just, this is a foreign land. He's never been to Egypt. He doesn't speak the language of Egypt. Just think about how this felt to him when he went through this experience. He found himself in an unknown world. This was uncharted territory. He'd never been through anything like this. It was very foreign. It just was totally foreign. Not only in reality foreign, but emotionally foreign. And in the blink of a number of days, he's sold as a slave two times. Once to the Ishmaelites and then once to this man named Potiphar. He was experiencing hardship with a capital H. And and when we go through hardship with a capital H, you know what it is? It's an unknown world. It's uncharted territory. It feels very foreign to us. You know, I went through that very experience a number of years ago when I got the call, yes, the test came back positive for cancer. You do have cancer. That was just an unknown world. That was uncharted territory, men and women. I'd never been through anything like that. It felt very, very foreign. And you know, you get that call and then they they say, well, what we want to do next is we want you to go through a round of tests because you have to find out whether the the cancer has really spread because I didn't really know it, but if it had spread a lot, then they're not really going to do the surgery they might be able to do on me. That's just uncharted territory to be down here at the hospital and having them running these tests. It just felt very foreign to me. And then eventually a decision was made for me to go to Mayo Clinic and to have surgery there. And and, uh, that was just uncharted territory, wheeling myself into the Mayo Clinic and they're getting ready to do this massive surgery where they basically take the trunk of your body and they just cut it and gut it considerably. Very, very significant surgery that I went through. Just totally foreign feeling and uncharted territory for me in my life. And then I had complications coming out of the surgery. I had an ileus, which basically means your bodily function isn't really working carefully and fully. And and I can remember sort of bloating way up and I'm thinking I'm in the hospital bed. Oh my gosh, this is, this is very uncomfortable. I mean, it was uncharted territory. It was an unknown world for me. And then I had another side effect, which was a nerve irritation side effect, which really meant that what happened is even after the surgery and after I came out of the surgery and for a number of weeks later, I could not sit for more than 60 seconds or I was just in too much nerve pain, which means I either had to stand up, which I wasn't that strong to stand up, or I had to be lying down all the time. This just was completely foreign in my life, uncharted territory. And then I had the joy of wearing a catheter for three weeks. Yeah, that's uncharted territory. That's about as foreign as it gets to go through that. Some of you have been there in that kind of a foreign, unknown, uncharted territory experience of hardship in your life. Maybe it was a serious accident that you went through. Maybe it was an abusive situation that you were in. 
Maybe it was a betrayal and rejection that you experienced. Maybe it's, it's even right now, there's a medical mystery and they don't really know what in the world's going on. Maybe it's a dreaded disease that you've been told that you or someone that you love very closely has. Maybe it's been a trip to the ICU. Maybe it's been a trip to the funeral home. Maybe it's just some darkness of depression that's uncharted territory in your life. It just feels very foreign to you. When you're there, how do you find hope through the hardship? Well, Part of the hope comes from God's presence. And we see that in Joseph's life. We see it in chapter 39. Look at verse 2. It says there, the Lord was with Joseph, the 17-year-old who was sold into slavery. The Lord was with Joseph. Look at verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. God's presence was there. Look at verse 21. We haven't gotten there yet, but look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence was there. Verse 23, the chief jailer, this is going to be happening later, did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 9, It summarizes some of these events. It says there that the the patriarchs, that's his brothers, were jealous of Joseph and they sold him into slavery. But it goes on to say, yet God was with him. God's presence was there. And despite the hardships that we experience, when we know him, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's presence brings us encouragement and brings us hope. Now, it's not directly stated here in um, verse, or rather, chapter 39, that Joseph found comfort in the presence of God. It's not directly stated, but I think when you look at the flow of all this, we know that that was the case. Joseph had to be aware of the presence of God with him. He had to have spoken of the presence of God with him because Potiphar is aware of it and later on the jailer is aware of it. How did they become aware of it? Because Joseph was talking about it, counting on it, relating the fact that he had confidence that God was with him. God, in his presence with Joseph, brought hope in the midst of hardship. Now, not only do we see this happening here, but it is a theme throughout Scripture. And we could spend several weeks actually tracking this through the Bible. We're not going to do that, but we are going to take a survey for a little while, looking at, secondly, this astounding promise of God's presence for those who know him. And there's all kinds of illustrations of this. For example, do you remember when Moses led the people out of Egypt, which happens a long time after this, and they're wandering in the wilderness? And you remember when they're wandering in the wilderness, there was with them during the day a pillar of cloud and during the night a pillar of fire. And those things were what we call theologically a theophany. It's a a seeing of God, literally. They were actually a Christophany, They were a seeing of the person of Christ in his presence with them. This pillar of cloud by the day 
was a symbol of the Lord's presence. Wherever they went through the wilderness facing all the hardships they would face, there was God with them. And the same thing was true at night when the pillar of fire was there. No matter what the hardships they were facing in the wilderness, God's presence was there with them. I want you to turn a few books to the right in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 31. Deuteronomy 31. We're looking at this astounding promise of God's presence that we see in Scripture. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is talking to Israel as they're getting ready to leave the wilderness and to go into the promised land. And there's going to be hardship that comes when that happens. And he says in chapter 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. Here we go. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. His presence will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. This astounding promise of God's presence to those who know him in the midst of hardship is all through Scripture. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your presence is there. Psalm 37, verse 24. Speaking of one who is a believer, who has a relationship with God, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. You're taking quite a spill into hardship, and God's presence is there virtually holding our hand. Psalm 68, verse 19. Praise the Lord. Praise God, our Savior. For each day, he carries us in his arms. When we're in the middle of this kind of uncharted territory and foreign experience, he is carrying us. His presence is there with us. This is an astounding promise that we see of God's presence throughout Scripture. Psalm 139 Psalmist says, can I go anywhere apart from your spirit? Is there anywhere I can go to escape your watchful presence? If I go up to heaven, God, as far high as I can think of, you're there. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, down where the, the dead are buried in the earth, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I make my home in the most isolated part of the ocean... Even then, you will be there to guide me. Your right hand will embrace me, for you are always there. The astounding promise of God's presence in the life of a believer. I love the picture in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 12. It says there, the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now think about the picture that's there. I'm walking into hardship, hardship that is foreign and difficult, and what's happening? The Lord will go before me. He's walking in front of me. But not only that, 
He is my rear guard. He is right behind me at the same time. That is the astounding promise of God's presence in our life. You know, one of the titles given to the person of Jesus is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. You know, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's just this picture of his presence, really. He goes before us. He comes behind us. That's what he is, a God who is there for us. Now, let's just be real. Those are biblical facts. The problem is that often when we're in the midst of this hardship, right, we may not feel his presence. You know what I'm talking about? You you know, Job went through that. Job was going through incredible hardship with a capital H. And in Job 23, verses 8 and 9, he talks about how he was feeling. And he talks about here about going forward, backward, left, and right. If you have an NIV, it would be north, south, east, and west. But notice what he's saying. He says, behold, I go forward, and he's not there. And and backward, but but I cannot perceive him. And when he acts on the left, I, I, I cannot behold him. And he turns on the right, and I, and I cannot see him. What he's really saying is, in the midst of everything I'm in right now, I don't feel his presence with me. And I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but a number of us know what that is like. And here's what I want to relate. It's so important for us to understand. It's okay to express to God how we feel. And it's good to go to the Psalms and, and, and read your way through the Psalms. And, and what I like about them so much is there's just this transparency that's there where the psalmist can just let the Lord know exactly what he's feeling. In Psalm 102, the psalmist says this, Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Bend down your ear and answer quickly when I call you. You ever had that kind of an attitude? Yeah. I can, I can, I've had the same kind of thoughts. Answer quickly when I call to you, for my days disappear like smoke. And how about this phrase, my bones burn like red-hot coals. What a descriptive thing. Lord, I'm in a hot place right now. I don't like being here. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I've lost my appetite. What's he really saying? He's saying, God, where are you? I don't really feel your presence. When we went to the Family Life Speaker Retreat this last January, um, one of the things that we saw there was a a guy by the name of Bill Howard, who's one of our fellow colleagues on the, the speaker team for Family Life. And the year before, one month after the speaker's retreat, Bill Howard had a brain aneurysm. So now as we see him this past January, it had been 11 months since this significant brain aneurysm that he had. And one of the things that he was, he was there, he, he, he was able to walk a little bit with a walker. He's, he's about my age. And uh, spent some time in the wheelchair. Um, but he was sharing with us that, that 80% of people who have the kind of brain aneurysm that he had will die from it. So eight out of 10 people who have his type 
would have been dead right away. And there's a whole story about him. He, he had this when he was driving in his car and had a collision. And he normally drove his motorcycle, which he decided not to do that day. If he'd been in a motorcycle, he would have never even survived the crash. But part of the aneurysm was he has this paralysis on the, the left side of his body. And uh, he's been working for 11 months on that. And one of the things he was so proud of uh, at the retreat was he'd been working on being able to grasp a mug and take a drink out of it with his semi-paralyzed arm. And he did that, you know, showed us how he could do that. He was so proud that he was able to do that. But, but one of the things is he was sharing with us that he said that was so honest, it was so transparent. This is what he said. He said, you know what? Right now, I don't feel God's presence. And that was just an honest response on Bill's part. It's so real. You know, and I've been there. When you have to say, you know, I don't, don't really feel God's presence right now. Now, he is near, and he is there. And Bill knows this, he knows this truth in his head. It just has, hasn't yet fully translated down to his heart. He is near for the one who knows him and has a relationship with him. He is there. Whether we feel it or not, it's true. I want you to turn to the New Testament. Let's just look at one passage in the New Testament about the presence of God. It's found in the book of Hebrews. So turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. If you find yourself at 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus, then you have Philemon, then you're in Hebrews. So find your way to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5. Now, the last part of this verse, we have, last part of verse 5, we have a, an incredible statement that is made. Hebrews 13, 5. It says, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, this is a very interesting verse in the way it's constructed in the original language. It basically includes five negatives. And one of the words in Greek for not or no is the word ou, Another word for not in the original language, is the word may, M-E. Both of them mean no or not. They're used in different ways uh, in the New Testament, grammatically speaking. But when you take ooh and may and you put them together, sort of a double negative that's together, it has a certain kind of emphasis. And rather than just being not, whatever the verb may be, it means absolutely never, ever. And so you have two pairs of ooh, may, and then the word nor in here. And so if I were going to translate it the way that it could be translated, it might come off something like this. He himself has said, I will absolutely never, ever desert you, nor Will I absolutely never, ever forsake you? 
That's the astounding promise of, of God regarding his presence in the life of a believer. You know, there are a couple of clear themes that come through when Jesus was teaching his disciples. And one of the themes that comes through is he says to his disciples, you will experience hardship, you will experience trouble, you will experience adversity. That theme is repeated over and over. Jesus to the disciples. There's another theme that comes across and it goes this way, I will never leave you alone. There was a hymn written in 1893 by a guy by the name of Daniel Whittle, and these are part of the words of that hymn. Never a trial that he is not there, never a burden that he does not bear, never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment, we're under his care. So what we've done today is we've looked a little bit, made some observations about God's presence with Joseph. We've spent a little time just surveying our way through the astounding promise of God's presence in the life of a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now we want to take a few moments just to look at our need and how our need for his presence is day by day. When you're in the midst of hardship, particularly the the rough kind of hardship, the uncharted territory hardship, the foreign hardship, what's the number one question that you have? How long am I going to be here? And you know, when we're in the midst of something like that, we can begin to have this tendency to worry about tomorrow. Is this going to go on tomorrow? Is this going to be going on next week? Is this going to be going on next month? And we need to understand that his presence is a need day by day. What we need is the courage and the encouragement for today. Jesus in Matthew 6.34 said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, we want to start running into the future worrying about that. We need his presence day by day. 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, day by day, we have need of embracing his presence in our life. Many of you have heard of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby, who, by the way, was blind either at birth or shortly after birth, is the top female hymn writer in American history. And a gal by the name of Carolina Sandel Berg was known as the Fanny Crosby of Sweden. She went by the name Lena most regularly, Lena Sandel Berg. And Lena was born October the 3rd, 1832, the daughter of Jonas Sandell, who was pastor of the village's Lutheran church. And though she was a little frail, she had a strong spirit. But tragedy struck when she was 26 years old. Lena and her father were enjoying a boat trip on the east coast of Sweden near Gothenburg when the ship suddenly lurched, and before her very eyes, Reverend Sandell was thrown overboard and he drowned. And returning home alone, Lena began to process her grief through the scriptures over the following months. 
Seven years later, her best-known hymn, Day by Day, was published. In it, Lena spoke from personal experience about the daily presence the Lord provides for his struggling children. Here's part of the words from the hymn, Day by Day, and you, you, many of you will recognize some of these words. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. Every day, the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he gladly would bear and cheer me, he whose name is Counselor and Power. The promise of his presence is guaranteed to all who know him and follow him. And Joseph found encouragement and strength and hope in God's presence in the midst of hardship, and so can we. Now, having surveyed through all of that, I want to talk for a moment or two just about some life response that we can have to what we've looked at. I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, we need to cling to the promise of his presence. You know, we talked about Hebrews 13, 5. Men and women, that ought to be engraved on our heart. We ought to know where that passage is because we're going to need to go to it and remember his promise to absolutely never, ever leave us, to absolutely never, ever forsake us, no matter how big the hardship may be. We've looked at Psalm 23, and most of us are familiar with that. This is something we need to embrace. We need to get our arms around Psalm 23 and how he is our shepherd, and he is always there. We need to cling to the promise of his presence. Secondly, by way of some life response, we need to envision his presence through prayer. Dwight Moody one time shared one of the keys to his Christian life. He said this, there isn't any problem in my life. There isn't any uncertainty in my work, but I turn and speak to him as naturally as to someone in the same room. Why would you not do that? He's right there. I can remember when I was getting on the plane to leave from Rochester, Minnesota to come back to Oklahoma. I remember I can't sit down for 60 seconds without being in a lot of pain. And I can remember laying on the floor by the gate at the airport, and I'm praying to God, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. How do you get on a multiple-hour plane flight when you can't sit down and you really have, don't have the strength to stand. It was just a matter of a couple of days after I'd had my surgery. But I'm talking with the Lord as if he was there. Why? Because he was there. And so we need to envision his presence through prayer. Thirdly, by way of life response, we need to thank him for his presence with us. When's the last time you really did that? Just thanked him. That's what Darlene Dibler did in the death camp. And I believe that's exactly what Joseph did. He was open about it, thanking God for his presence with him. 
In the words of the classic hymn, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for the word of God and just the comfort it brings us even in the midst of horrific hardship in our life. And we thank you for the promise of your presence that we have seen. It's an astounding promise. It's all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. And we would pray, Father, that you would help us when we're in the middle of that to remember your promises, to cling to the promise of your presence. May we just remember that we can pray to you because you're there even though we don't feel that you're there. And Father, we just want to thank you for the promise that no matter what we go through, you are there. That on Christ, the solid rock, I can stand. We're grateful for that. And we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.